Good morning. Once again, I'm delighted to be here, and I appreciate your uh, putting up with me. <laughs> so, um, I have a question. Have you ever walked through a wrong door? Have any of you ever, guys, walked into a women's bathroom by mistake? <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to confess I've done that. <laughs> I've had ladies walk into men's restrooms by mistake. <laughs> when you walk through the wrong door, you end up in a wrong place. Would you agree? There are lots of doors that are open to us at different times. <clears throat> and there needs to be some discernment about which door we walk through. Whether it's a good door or a bad door. So we have to be careful as to which door we walk through. We want to look at um, John chapter 10 is where we're going to spend most of our time, but uh, we're going to start in John chapter 9 because that's where um, basically the discourse that they're going through right now, Jesus and the Pharisees, um, originates. In John chapter 9, uh, if you remember, um, Jesus does an unbelievable miracle in that he heals a man who was born blind. Nothing like that has ever happened up to that time in history. And I can't document anything that's happened since then like that, although blind people have been healed at different times. I don't know whether they've been born blind or not. So the first thing to see from this as we begin to walk through this passage is that the blind cannot see the door. They can't see the right way to walk in or out of a place. Um, let's look at the passage together. In verse, uh, I want to pick up in verse 39 of John chapter 9, just to put it in perspective. And I'm going to read through the whole passage, and then we'll go back and look at it. So, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not, um, those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know the voice, or know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of the strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who, ever come before, who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. May God bless his word. Let's pray for just a second. God, we ask that you would open this passage to us, that you would impress upon us our great need to go through you for all, for abundant life and for an abundant eternity. So Lord, speak through your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So in this first three verses, we see that um, the blind cannot often see exactly what's in front of them. So all that is about to be revealed is a part of what has been going on with this man born blind who Jesus healed in the temple. Jesus has done an unheard of miracle when he healed the man born blind. The guy never really knew who did it. He was blind when it started and Jesus apparently walked off after he told him to wash his face. If you remember, he put mud on his eyes. That's a really neat way to get healed from something. You put mud on your... Any of y'all know what mud does to you when you put it on a cut or a bruise or something that's wrong? Often gives you an infection, doesn't it? And Jesus says, put mud on his eyes, and then he walked away. The guy went and washed his face, and the next thing he knew, he could see. So he goes to the Pharisees because they're upset about him being able to see on the Sabbath. Just stop there for a second. Is that called hypocrisy? I mean, here's a guy born blind. I don't care what day of the week it is. And he gets to see. But they go in on him. They blast the man born blind and then turn to Jesus who upends all their presuppositions about how religious they, are, they think they are. Jesus basically accosts the Pharisees through the man born blind about their own blindness. They are blinded by their pride and arrogance. It has left them unable to see the promised Messiah who is standing right in front of them. I, I don't know about you guys, but I marvel at the fact that these Pharisees interacted with God in the flesh and couldn't see it. How blind can you really be? And these guys didn't ever really get it until after he died. Then some came, read in Acts, Some Pharisees came into the fold. They're blinded by their pride and arrogance. It's left them unable to see the promised Messiah who's standing right there. Jesus has done a mighty miracle that no one has ever done before, and they still cannot see who he really is. If you have your Bible, turn over uh, to Matthew chapter, well, it'll be up here, I forgot. Matthew chapter twenty. Or let's start with Matthew chapter 15. Do you have that one? Matthew 15. If you don't, we'll go to 23. That's okay. Matthew 23. Woe to you. Now, Jesus is talking to these same Pharisees. He says, woe to you, blind guides. Wait, you left me there. <laughs> I'll look it up. <laughs> ah, here we are. 
Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is ob- obligated to perform it. What does Jesus call them? Blind guides. Look at the, the next one is uh, verse 24. He's not being, or excuse me, verse 17. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold of the temple or set? Or, that, or, or the temple that sanctifies the gold. Verse 19, or 18. Whoever swears by the altar is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obligated to perform it. Now, verse 19. Fools and blind. I mean, Jesus is after them. He's not being nice to them, but he's trying to get their attention. What's the heart of Jesus in all these verses? He wants them to come to know him. He wants them to see who's right in front of him, them, excuse me. Jump forward to, is it verse 24? Do we have that one next? He goes right through it. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That's insulting. (laughs) That's insulting. And yet Jesus is using this, trying to get them to see. Look at the next one, verse uh, 26, last one. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may, also, may be clean also. Have you guys ever taken Evangelism 101? <laughs> this isn't like Evangelism 101. You're supposed to be really sweet and gentle and nice and kind and gracious and all those good things to just draw these people in because of your goodness. And you're supposed to impress them about how much you love them and everything else. Jesus is right at their throat. Because they're leading people to hell. And they themselves are headed towards hell. And he wants to grab them and say, look, I'm right here. I feel like we need to do that in our world today. I'm all for being nice. Don't misunderstand me. I'm all for being encouraging. Please don't misunderstand me. But there's a time when you have to say to someone, you are blind. You are not seeing what's right in front of you. You're not understanding the truth. I don't know if you knew, but last week before I went to visit with Lon in Haver, um, I went to a, a men's retreat in a, up at... A, Echo Lake at Big Sky Bible Camp with the church that I'm a member of. And um, there was this guy there, and I don't know why he sat down. Well, I I spoke one time while I was up there, but he sat down with me, and he started telling me that the God of the Old Testament was the God of the New Testament. And we would walk through, I mean, we walked through a dozen passages, and I would explain to him, you know, God does kill people. He was upset that God had killed 53,000 people. Um, I spoke on uh, Obadiah Edom. I think I've done that with y'all. And, and uh, <clears throat> he was upset. He said, God doesn't kill people. And I said, oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. Then I said, well, what about when he killed 186,000 under Jehoshaphat? Oh, that was different. Really? <laughs> he would not see he refused to understand. And I'm, I'm just giving you a smidgen of a two-hour conversation. Finally, I just said to him, I said, you are dead wrong. 
You have decided to make yourself the judge instead of God being the judge of you. When you discern, when you decide to take scripture and take exception to it, it's okay to think through that. I'm not saying don't think through it. But when you get to the point where you will not accept what scripture says, you are judging scripture instead of scripture judging you, and you have become blind. And that poor fellow, he he began to share how angry he was about the world. <laughs> I'm going, the reason you're angry is you don't see who, what God is doing because you can't see it. Don't be blind. Jesus was shaking them and saying, look, I'm here. I'm the Messiah. This is the one. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. Paul spoke of this kind of blindness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 18, he says this, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing. But, <clears throat> excuse me, their minds were blinded, for until the day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Now he goes on to say, let me finish the passage, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on, on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You can see, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the, as the Lord by the, as, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So Paul recognized that there was a veil over people's faces. He's not talking to Jews here. He's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to you and me. We can have a veil over our mind's eye that, in, that keeps us from seeing the truth of the gospel. I would like to suggest to you today that there's a veil over most of America, it seems like. There's a strong church, but it's not having any effect in America as such. We are and we aren't. You can argue that with me. But there's no question, if you just look around, people have a veil over their, over their mind's eye, over their, over their heart. They can't see the truth. They can't see who Jesus really is. He is God in the flesh. He did die on the cross. He did pay for our sins. And we as the church, I believe, should be those who are displaying the great love of Christ to those around us so that they might know him. Paul wanted the Corinthians to know Jesus Christ. We should be wanting all those around us, one way or the other, to love and know Jesus. Would you agree with me on that? Would you agree that, this is in my notes, I apologize. But would you agree that, that, that the only hope for America and for our world is Jesus Christ? If we're not willing to get out and share that and tell that and confront people and 
sometimes call people to task. That's what I did with this man. I don't, I don't think I offended him. We had a great conversation, but I finally just said, you're not seeing. It's then I believe that people will begin to quit being woke, as we call it, or let me put it this way, are going through the wrong door. I was in the business, I was in the, uh, in the uh, council meeting of the, of the city when they decided to take all the he's and she's off doors and bathroom doors in, in Helena. Thank goodness some of them leave them up because I can still find my way in. But a lot of the doors now say it or it, he, she or, or something weird like that. But that's a symptom of our society. We're not understanding righteousness and goodness because we don't know Jesus. We need to be willing to go through the right door. He is the door. Look again at verse 17. Could you put that one back up there for 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3, verse 17? Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. Our founders understood that. When we get the door right, when we look at Jesus rightly, we're set free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. He he sets us truly free. He, He truly gives us sight. The Pharisees are not truly free. They cannot truly see. They're lost. And Jesus is confronting them with the hope they will be saved. Can you see? Do you see who Jesus really is? The Messiah. The only one who can truly save. So now he, Jesus, uses a common metaphor of a shepherd taking care of the sheep. Um, I just want to look at the background of shepherding sheep here in, uh, in John chapter Chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. Jesus outlines, or outlines something that, that the people of that day were very, very familiar with. I don't know how familiar you are with shepherding, particularly Middle Eastern shepherding. It's very different from what you see in America. Jesus uses this well-known metaphor, if you would, in Israel. In that day as an illustration for the Pharisees to understand who was standing before them. Israel's whole history had the illustration of shepherding lived out. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all were shepherds. You remember, they they went to Egypt and they went up to Goshen because the Egyptians couldn't stand being around shepherds. David called himself a shepherd. And then David in turn called God the great shepherd. So when Jesus starts to explain the shepherd, they know exactly what he's talking about. Most of us today have little understanding of of what that really means. And I just want to give you a brief overview of it. In that day, and even in the Middle Eastern, shepherds today build a sheep pen where they brought their flock at night for rest and protection. The sheep pen was built of rock. There's a lot of rock in the Middle East, if you're not aware of it. There's a ton of it. (laughs) And they would build up a a rock wall about this high. And then on top of it, they would put branches to keep 
predators out. The, 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 um, the wall was usually uh, four to five feet high at some point, and then it, had, um, it was either oval or rectangular. And it would have a four to five foot opening that was called the door. The door was guarded by the shepherd. He would more often than not lay across the door at night and sleep there. First time I heard that, I went, whoa, that's pretty fascinating. Shepherd sleeps across the door. Then, as a result, no sheep could come out as they'd have to pass over him, and nothing could come in as whatever tribe would have to pass over them as such. The Middle Eastern shepherd had a very intimate relationship with his sheep. Good shepherds named them. I did a funeral two weeks ago for a guy who was, his family were shepherds. And they made fun of him. He was autistic. He died at 40. And um, he had named every sheep in their fold of sheep that they maintained. And they all thought that was so weird. But that's what the Middle Eastern shepherds, they, they would name them. A, a, a good shepherd knew their character qualities. The sheep were led by their shepherd and not driven by shepherd. Um, I've been to India a number of times, and in India, it's, it's not uncommon to see herds of goats and sheep walk through the city or through a town, but they were always being driven. There'd be a, a, a shepherd, and he'd have a long stick, and he'd just sort of be whipping the back of them. He wasn't violent or anything, but he would, that's the way he kept them in check. And if a, if a uh, goat or a sheep went off to one side, he'd be over there hollering at them and getting them to come back. Some of the shepherds were gentler than others. I've watched a bunches of them. But in the Middle East, they don't drive them, they lead them. In fact, they lead them by singing or whistling. It's really quite interesting. When they leave the sheep pen in the mornings, every shepherd has a given path that has been in his family for generations. There might be six or eight paths on the side of a hill, but he had one that was his. And so that shepherd would go out and he'd whistle or he'd sing a gentle, soothing song. And he'd lead those sheep across the side of that hill to go to water first and then to a pasture where they would feed for the day. Most sheep knew and loved their shepherd and stayed with them. All the sheep of a particular shepherd knew his voice and responded to it. The shepherd would lead them in the mornings to good water and green pastures by whistling or singing a soothing song as he walked along a very specific trail that was his. And it had been in his family for generations. Forgive me for repeating that. As a side note, this isn't in the passage, but I just want you to think about this. Shepherds had bad sheep, sheep that would not follow them, usually young teenage sheep, <laughs> and they would go off and do their own thing. And of course, that can become fairly dangerous for a sheep, particularly when there's wild animals out there that enjoy sheep for lunch. And so the, sh the shepherd had a solution for that. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. But what he would do is he would get, pick the sheep up, 
and he would break its front leg. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? He would snap the leg in two, and then he would put a splint on it, and he'd drape that sheep around his neck and carry it until the leg healed. That sheep would never leave his side. Now, I want you to think about this just for a second. This is a side note. But you know what? God still breaks us at times. And he does it not to hurt us, although it may hurt. But he does it to draw us closer to himself so that he can lead us to green pastures and abundant water. David speaks of breaking in the Psalms. I surrendered to the ministry publicly uh, when Dr. Charles Stanley spoke on brokenness. You've probably heard sermons on brokenness. It comes from this picture. So, do you see how caring and intimate a good shepherd was with a sheep? He lived for the sheep. He protected and cared for the sheep. He knew them and they knew him. So when Christ says that all must enter by the door, all those listening knew exactly what he was saying. Any who came in by any other means was a thief and a robber. He was not legitimate, that person that came in by another way. In other words, if he crawled over the wall, he was looking for a way to distress or destroy the sheep. The one who comes in the right way through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Listen again to John chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, one, one more time. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. Isn't that interesting now that you understand that? They're not going to, if you know the voice of Jesus, you're not going to follow anybody else. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then it says, Jesus used this illustration. He's talking to a people that understand sheep herding in a, in a Middle Eastern mindset. Jesus is asking them to believe in him as the great shepherd. Do you? I have to ask that. Do you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7 to 11, gives some direct insight, if you would, into this. Verse 7 says, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, do you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do, you, do not be deceived. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then this comforts me. (laughs) And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Listen, gang, we live in a world right now filled with verse 9 and 10. I was like that. (laughs) I, I, I shared my testimony several weeks ago. I was like that. And God saved me. And God still wants to save people. Still wants to grow his church. Still wants to see America saved. Still wants to see the gospel pushed out across the world. He's not finished. (laughs) He's not finished with this yet. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For he he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough to tell other people? I thought of this this morning, and I'm, 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 I'm not saying this to hurt or insult in any way. Please hear me. But do you love this church? Do you love this church? Do you love it enough to invite somebody here to be a part of this church? Do you? You see, you're in the fold. (laughs) I'm guessing everybody here is saved. But we need to bring people in so that they might come through the right door, so that they might get introduced to the Savior. That's the way the church grows. The church doesn't grow. I mean, Billy Graham and all these other big deals, those are nice. Those are wonderful. We need those. Those are part of God's plan. But the Basis of church growth across America, I can prove it to you by statistics, is people inviting people to be a part of what they're doing. Jesus wants to bring others into the sheepfold. That's why he's talking to these guys. (laughs) He wanted those Pharisees to come and hear him. He finally got really blunt with them. I read you those passages in Matthew where he calls them fools. But he wants them in. Last thing I want you to see from this passage is believing in the right door once entered will get you to the right place. Man, I'm so glad they have men on some doors still. I mean, I'm not being facetious. <laughs> they, that helps. John chapter 10 again. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
Jesus now slam dunks it right in the Pharisee's face. He leaves no question as to what he's talking about. He is the door. If you're going to get into heaven, into God's presence, into eternal life, you have to come through that door. The only right door. No other religion or belief system leads to to heaven. None. Jesus is the only way. He's the only door. All other doors will lead you to the wrong place. Jesus is very clear here that he is the only right door that all must enter by. John shares this episode so there would be no doubt as to who Jesus is and what he is offering. He is the door to eternal life. Verse 80 states that all who came before him were thieves and robbers. Either he's telling the truth or he's a liar. It's, it's one or the other. Either he is truly Lord or he's a lunatic. Which is he? Verse 9, not to leave in any question in their minds, he repeats himself. He's the door to eternal life. He's the door to heaven. He's the door to right relationship with the Lord. If you enter by Jesus, he says you will be saved. He states that you will find good pasture. In other words, you'll have your needs met and your life will be full and you will have all that the good shepherd has to offer you and you will spend eternity in his presence in heaven. What better deal is that? Verse 10, I didn't read it again, but it says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Verse 10, he reminds them and us that there is an opponent, a destroyer, one who wishes us harm. He's a thief. He's a destroyer, a killer, a liar. You can see him all around us right now. He's on every corner, it would seem like. He's in our news reports on a regular basis. He's in our politics. He's in our schools. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's a destroyer. He's a killer. Listen, if you don't know Jesus and you go to hell, is that death? That's eternal death. Our world with devils is filled that I love this old hymn. It reminded me of this. I asked her to put it up. You're familiar with Martin Luther's old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let me just read through that real quick. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing, who asked who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, he must and he will win the battle. And through this world with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, 
we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. A prince of darkness grim, we tremble not at him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What word is that? It's the scripture. Verse 4, he says, The word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds grow this mortal life also. This body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. It hasn't changed since Martin Luther wrote that in the 1500s. If anything, it's become more intense. Today, I was just thinking, I'll throw this out. I'm I'm ad-libbing a little too much maybe today. But when you watch the Super Bowl this afternoon, I'm planning on watching it. Just note all the things that are from God as opposed to all the things that are from Satan. Because there's a bunch right there in your face on TV today. The last part of verse 10 says this, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We have the great shepherd, the one who gives us life, life more abundantly and life through him forever. In the midst of a devil-filled world, we can triumph because we have Jesus. The door is Jesus. I am the door. The door is The only way to an abundant life. Go through the door. Please go through the door and lead others through the door. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this. Through him we have redemption. Through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We know that we have redemption through him. That means we've been bought back from the slave market of sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, says, For by grace you are saved, through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. God wants to give it to us. Not of works, least anyone should boast. We have nothing to boast of except that the door's been opened so that we can go through it. Last one, 2 Peter chapter 1, the introduction, he says, um, verse, well, I, verse 4 is where it ends. But By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world that is in the world through lust. That's the green pasture. We've escaped. The, we've escaped lust. That's the green pasture of, of God's blessing. He has it for us. He is the door. Have you walked through the door of salvation in Jesus? Have you experienced this awesome, great salvation that we can have and do have in him? He's the only door. There is no other. One last one. John chapter. Do you have that one? John chapter 12. I sent her all these late last night. So I Okay, that's fine. Let's just leave it there. Have you believed God's report as spoken in the Bible? 
This is truth. This is part of the door. Grab hold of it and walk through it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the way to salvation, that you are the way to eternity in God's presence. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We're about to look at that here soon. You're the door. Lord, I pray that if there happens to be anybody here who's never walked through that door, that this morning they would say, yes, Jesus, I need you as my Savior. Come and take control of my life. I turn from my sins and I turn to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you loved me so much that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. Lord, I know from experience and from what you did in my life that when we bow ourselves before you and walk through the door into your presence, that you hear us and that you receive us and that you love us so much that you take us to heaven to be with you. Lord, do that today if there's someone here who doesn't know you. And Lord, for the rest of us, embolden us. Just embolden us so that we might speak to others of the love of Jesus. Lord, fill this auditorium up with people who need to know Jesus. You're not finished with this church yet. You've called them to reach this community for Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that you would do it in a mighty way through this people. Use them for your glory. Bless them all now. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.